0: One of the reasons I do this show is to try to build bridges of understanding and communication between honest conservatives trying to preserve our constitutional freedoms and leftists writhing in seizures of demonic rage as they try to destroy every remnant of political decency, violate our finest traditions, and plunge our cities into filth and violence until they've reduced our nation to smoldering rubble that they would gladly urinate on except for fear of putting out any remaining flames, that might have the power to eradicate even the smallest remnants of the single greatest political idea mankind ever had, which they despise because it stands in the way of their ravening lust for power, offends their ignorance, thwarts their corruption, and is basically an obstacle to their general all-around crappiness, which they hope to spread to the entire world. In order to foster goodwill between patriotic traditionalists and these commie bastards, I think it's important we occasionally try to explain their ideas so we can understand what they're thinking instead of just regarding them as lunatic evildoers, howling with fury at the god who made them when they're not hurling themselves against the bars of their socialist mind prisons or just sitting in a puddle of their own drool devouring insects like that guy in the old Dracula movie who goes mad after being attacked by three soulless vampire women who were later elected to Congress and became known as the Squad. So, for instance, while our country is laboring under vast amounts of destructive debt and inflation is spiraling upward due to reckless infusions of government cash, you may wonder Why are catastrophic socialist spending plans being shoved down our throats by whoever is operating the animatronic likeness of our long-dead president? May he rest in peace. The answer lies in what is called Modern Monetary Theory. Modern Monetary Theory is the theory that government deficits and national debt don't really matter because the government can simply print more money whenever it wants to, with no consequences. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, oh, Clavin, you irrepressible pranksterologist. Whenever you pull the trigger of the titanic flamethrower of your wit, I just want to smother you with kisses and other sexual favors I can't be explicit about, so DM me. But no, so help me, I am not making this up. That is modern monetary theory. And while it's been largely rejected by most economists and sentient beings, It has gained traction with such intellectual luminaries as Congresswoman Alexandria occasional cortex, certain collections of rocks, and a Tyrolean hunchback whose brain was transplanted into the head of a monster made of the sewn-together body parts of hanged criminals in one of the Universal sequels to Frankenstein. Economist Paul Krugman of the New York Times, a former newspaper, says he is even to the left of modern monetary theory and has had his brain transplanted into a monster made of sewn-together communists. So now that we understand that leftists are not just randomly trying to destroy the greatest nation on earth, but are trying to destroy it because of some fakakta theory even a four-year-old wouldn't believe, I think we can begin to bring this country together with just a little patience, some tar and feathers maybe some rotten vegetables, and probably a whip. It should make for an interesting afternoon. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Klavan, and this is The Andrew Clavin Show. I feel hunky-dunky, life is tickety-boo. Birds are winging, also singing, hunky-dunky-dee-doo. ship shaped dipsy topsy the world is zippity-zing. It's a wonderful day, hoorah, hooray, it makes me want to sing. Oh, hurrah, hooray. Oh, All right, we are back laughing our way through the end of the world as we know it. Uh, I spent this week recording the audiobook of The Truth and Beauty, uh, so there will be an audiobook coming out, but I may lose my voice during the course of the show. We'll see. Uh, it's quite an experience being locked up in a little room hour after hour. It's like being Kimmy Schmidt before she's rescued. Uh, but I still would like it if you would go on and pre-order the book on Amazon. It would really help us out and let the publishers know everybody's interested. Today we're going to be asking the big questions: Is this still a good, qu- a good country? And we'll get to the bottom of uh, of spying against Donald Trump and talk to the mighty Brent Bazell of NewsBusters, one of my favorite sites. This is a great time to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts and give us a five-star review. Also, extremely helpful and. Of Of course, if you subscribe to dailywire.com, you too can be in the mailbag and have all your problems solved. You can just go on there and ask me any question you want. All my answers guaranteed 100% correct and will change your life. And many people ask, Will it change my life for the better? Uh, and they're never heard from again. Also, go on to YouTube and subscribe to my personal channel, the Andrew Claven channel. And if you leave a comment there, and the comment is sufficiently ugly, uh, you know, morally reprehensible, we'll include it on the show uh, as because it'll fit right in with everything else we're saying here. Today's comment is from Christopher Prestipino, and this is a more serious comment than we usually read. He said, I don't understand how you can call Trump a great president. He was, then complain about some character flaws and not consider yourself a utopian. And the reason I read that is because a lot of people react that way whenever I talk about uh, Donald Trump, but I don't think it's being utopian at all to expect uh, good values from your president, and especially when his, his poor values may have hurt him uh, legislatively and also in the election that that followed. You know, think of it, if your kid were playing Little League and he hit three home runs, and then he got up and the umpire, who was a grown-up who has volunteered his services to uh, coach a Little League game, Uh, calls a a strike that the kid thought was a ball and the kid turns around and curses out this adult who's volunteered to be the umpire and has gone against the umpire, would you go up to him and say, hey, great game, you hit three home runs? Or would you say to him, hey, you do not talk to an adult like that, you don't use that kind of language, and you respect the umpire, you respect the officials in the game? I think you do the latter, and that's why I include these things. One thing I've noticed, I I noticed that the never-Trumpers, have basically lost their moral compass. And you know who I'm talking about. I don't like to attack other right-wingers. I think we should hang together uh, while these, these people are trying to take over the country. But still, you know, the people who have never Trumpers have lost their moral compass a little bit. They're doing things that I find incomprehensible, but also people who are Trumpers, no matter what, I think lose their moral compass, and that's why. Because when you make a human being your idol, uh, you're going to lose your way. You know, remember your morality comes from a higher sphere, and you should stick to it no matter what is going on. It doesn't mean you don't vote for the right person. It doesn't mean you don't support them. It just means you speak the truth when you're speaking about them. If you still haven't caught the Daily Wire's new film, Shut In, by now, you're seriously missing out. It really is a good film. I highly recommend you head to DailyWire.com/slash subscribe to get a membership today. The film is now exclusively streaming for Daily Wire members and currently has an audience score of 97% on Rotten Tomatoes, which is pretty amazing. We're creating more and more great entertainment without a leftist agenda. It's all thanks to our Daily Wire members. So head to dailywire.com slash subscribe today so you can watch Shut In, the upcoming Hyperions, and Gina's new movie, which is out this summer. So I know I don't look like it, but I actually am a small business, and one of the things I know is you've got to be able to market yourself effectively. Constant Contact is a digital marketing platform that helps small businesses and nonprofits of all sizes build, grow, and succeed with email marketing, contact management, industry-leading list growth tools, social media ads, and more. Constant Contact helps small businesses connect with customers, find new ones, and sell online, all from one easy-to-use platform. They've been trusted by millions of businesses to help improve their marketing. With a 97% deliverability rate, you can rest assured that your customers and potential customers are getting the right message at the right time. With a simple interface, Constant Contact's easy-to-use platform makes contact management easier than ever. Their list growth tools help you find a bigger audience fast. Lead generation landing pages, text to join, and social media ads are proven to grow your list and drive engagement with your brand. With thousands of integrations, you can sync Constant Contact's tools with the tools you're already using. Powerful automation tools help you send the right message to the right person at the right time, every time. To start your free digital marketing trial today, visit ConstantContact.com. So. This is what is happening right now as we speak. Uh, obviously, the situation in Ukraine is heating up. Uh, uh, and this is what uh, Joe Biden said about it yesterday.
1: They have reason to believe that they are
2: engaged in a false flag operation. They have an excuse to go in. Every
1: indication we have is they're prepared to go into Ukraine, attack Ukraine. I, my sense is will happen within the next several days.
0: So, you know, we don't know, there's there's been shelling. They're saying, like like Biden said, that he thinks there may be a false flag operation, basically trying to get the Ukrainians to do something so that then Putin has an excuse to go in. We just don't know what's gonna happen, so I'm not gonna talk about it too much. And uh, let me honestly say that I entirely blame the Biden administration for this situation, this crisis. It's the idiotic AOC-style green approach to energy that has cut back our energy supplies, made it impossible for us to replace Russian energy in Europe, so that that has strengthened Putin. The reason he didn't act this way when Trump was president is because Trump was beefing up our energy supplies, making us an energy exporter. But having caused the crisis, having shown weakness with his chaotic and stupid and now we know uh, indecisive withdrawal from Afghanistan, basically putting meat in front of the tiger that is Vladimir Putin, having caused that crisis, he's reacting to it in the way that I would react to it, letting Putin know that if he does invade, it's going to cost him, and uh, and Putin doesn't have a lot of leeway in terms of cost, and so maybe he'll think about it, but we'll see. But the, this is, all this said, the real crisis to me, the underlying crisis, is whether Americans, and especially young Americans, feel that our country is still the sort of country that can act with moral certainty in a situation like this and take the moral high ground. And I understand completely that we're not Russia, Biden is not Putin, he doesn't kill his enemies, he doesn't assassinate his enemies, he's not putting throwing people in, in jail for criticizing him. Here I am talking about him the way I do and nobody is coming after me. That is not the same thing as being a high moral beacon, a city on a hill that can act in these situations with real moral certainty and have the world follow us. And I talk to young people all the, all the time, and they look around at the mess our leaders made under COVID, the way they completely uh, abandoned and disrespected our commitment to to liberty uh, in favor of safety and fear for no reason. As it turns out, they really didn't stop the disease at all. Uh, The censoring of people online, the cancellation of anyone who opposes left-wing orthodoxy. And they say, okay, well, you know, yeah, Biden's not Putin, but are, are we really heading in the right direction? Are we really a country that can, you know, pound our chest and say we are the moral beacon of the world? I was talking to Knowles about this the other day, and I, I confessed to him that I used to pray God bless America, and now, <laughs> now I pray uh, that God, God, please remember uh, your faithful on the day of your wrath, because I think about. You know, 3,000 babies aborted every day. Uh, Slavery, I said this on backstage, slavery was a grave, grave evil, but this is worse. This is a terrible thing. More black babies are being uh, aborted than are being born. Uh, I see uh, children being tormented with the sick, mentally ill gender ideology uh, and racism in the form of critical race theory. I saw the swimmer, uh, Leah Thomas, his his name is, uh, set some kind of Ivy League record for swimming, by girls, and I just think that's so unkind, so cruel. Uh, I see, I see our black citizens being denigrated by leftist incitements to riot and the withdrawal of law enforcement that gets people killed because of leftist hostility to law and order. Uh, I see people taking down statues of great men like Thomas Jefferson and building them to dirtbag criminals like George Floyd. And I think, you know, what kind of country celebrates degeneracy instead of genius? What kind of country celebrates, uh, you know, criminality instead of truth and beauty at its core. I'm not talking about the outskirts. I'm not talking about the radicals on the side. I'm talking about the guys in the White House. I'm talking about the guys in Congress. I'm talking about the people in the government. Uh, and and yeah, you know, are there bad guys on the right? Yes, there are, but as I keep saying, our bad guys are in the comments sections of uh, right-wing websites and their bad guys are in office and are running the country and are guiding the Democrat Party because the majority of Democrats, I'm not even talking about the majority of Democrats. I'm talking about the fact that this old man who is now uh, doddering through the presidency is being forced and guided by this power in the party that does not represent the majority of liberals. There's plenty of stuff for liberals and conservatives to talk about and argue about and negotiate over and compromise on, but you can't compromise with these woke guys because they're locusts. They're destroying everything. So as I'm thinking this through, you know, I I started to talk to myself about it. And I started to say, well, look, (laughs) when you do a job like this, you're reading the news all the time. And when you're reading the news all the time, you're reading the left. You're reading the left. The left controls the the communication enterprise in this country. It controls the culture. So you're being just infused, you know, attacked with leftist rhetoric about how bad the country is on the one hand. And then your natural reaction is to, to scream and yell about it, which kind of makes things worse because all you're ever doing is shaking your fist at your fellow Americans or shaking your fist at these lunatics as if they were the majority of your fellow Americans, which they're not. So all week long, I've been trying to step back a minute and just say to myself, don't be be a Pollyanna, don't say things are good, but don't say things are terrible either. Just take a look at the way things are. And and here's what began to occur to me at any given moment in history. um, We could have looked at our country in a miserable way or in an inspired way we could have said at the founding of the country we could have said ah look at this a new birth of freedom a new idea is coming to fruition it's going to change the world it's the first it's the only republic on earth but soon every country will be a republic even countries that aren't republic will call themselves republics like the Soviet Union did, the Union of Soviet Socialist Republics, because we are such a great example that they'll want to follow us. But at the same time, I could have looked at that same moment and said, look at this, they're holding human beings slaves. They're holding human beings slaves under the worst possible uh, conditions. They're doing it for racist reasons. It's wrong, it's evil. And both of those assessments would have been true. They both would have been true at the same time. Uh, you know, we could have said, oh, oh look, they're, uh, you know, civilizing a continent. They're conquering a continent. They're bringing civilization. They're, all that's ever been in this continent are primitive tribes who haven't even invented the wheel. The uh, continent th- this size has got to be part of the human uh, experiment, the human project. It's got to be civilized. It's got to become this engine of fantastic creation and industry and uh, invention. But at the same time, I could have said, Look what they're doing to these poor primitive tribes! You know they're wiping them off the face of the earth. They're promising them this and then taking their land away. Uh, they're committing massacres that are—they're—you know—even though many of the Indians attacked uh, white men brutally, you know, they the Europeans attacked back just as brutally. And you know, I could have said that too. And both of those assessments would have been true, and in Europe, they were appalled by our treatments of the indigenous people here. Uh, You know, to this day, we can say, look at the Nazism, look at the defeat of Nazism by the United States, the defeat of communism, a slave state. The Soviet Union was a slave state that was taking over the world, and we dropped them, basically, just by opposing them and outspending them and doing a better job at what we do than what they do. Uh, The spread of freedom around the world, same time, You could have said Jim Crow is there, the unfair internment of the Japanese during World War II. And again, both of those would have been right. And even right now, when I'm looking at the ugliest thing that the left is doing, selling their disgusting racism to children, and it really, this CRT stuff is this. People keep saying, well, you don't want us to teach history get stuffed because this is not history, this is racism. They're teaching children that if they're white, they're oppressors, if they're black, they're victims. It's awful, it is awful. And, and I'll talk about this later on, I'm gonna do a segment about this, uh, this sexual depravity they're selling to children. And this is not an attack on gay people, it's not even an attack on transgender people, although I have a a harder time with that because I think they're trying to get us to lie about what they are and who they are. But still, still, it's not an attack on them, it's the teaching of this to children who are in a, a, a vulnerable, fragile stage where they're trying to establish their identities. Part of that is establishing their gender identities, their gender identity is keyed into their body and what they're doing is ugly and and sick and it's grooming them it's disgusting but at the same time at the same time I can look at this and say yeah this is the battleground because this is where the future happens it doesn't happen in Copenhagen it happens here this is where the the world of tomorrow is being formed so these these this is the front line so these morons these uh you know racists these leftist racists these leftist depraved people who are teaching depraved stuff to children they're there because this is the front line. This is the front line of ideas. And that's a beautiful thing about this country. Because we're so free, because we allow people to say revolutionary things, this is where the fight takes place. And so it is still, you know, it is still part of the battle that we're in, the, the battle for the future that humankind is in. The, the front line of for humankind's future is right here in America because we're free. When we lose a nuanced sense of the history of the human condition, we turn into Alexandria Occasional Cortex. I mean, listen to what she says. This is uh, just kind of an amazing clip of what she says about capitalism, all right?
3: To me, capitalism at its core, what what we're talking about when we talk about that is the absolute pursuit of profit at all human, environmental, and social cost. That is what we're really discussing. And what we're also discussing is the ability for a very small group of actual capitalists, and that is people who have so much money that their money makes money and they don't have to work, uh, and they can control industry, they can control our energy sources, they can control our labor, they can control massive markets uh, that they dictate and can capture governments and they can uh, essentially have power over the many. And to me, that is not a redeemable system for us to be able to participate in for the prosperity and peace for the vast majority of people.
0: Now, I've said before, I think AOC is one of the most dangerous people in the country because she's so ignorant uh, and she's politically talented and she's pretty, you know, she's a fascist with a hot body and that's not (laughs) funny, it's dangerous, right? But the real danger is is the way she thinks. The first thing she says is I define capitalism as this evil, you know, takeover for profit no matter what. But that's not what capitalism is. Capitalism is a system of trade that has to be controlled, as I've said many times, by Christian values. Once it's controlled by Christian values, capitalism has produced every damn thing she has. All the social programs we have are paid for by capitalism. Socialists never talk about where the money for their social programs come from, and they invent stuff like modern monetary theory to explain it away. You know, everything she has—from the internet to computers to wealth to healthcare—all of it comes from capitalism. And so, you know. I play her and we hate on her and we say, ah, capitalism is good, but she does have a point that capitalism does create people who have to be restrained because they have too much wealth, too much power, too much control over speech. These things have to be restrained. We need to make sure the lowest people in the country don't fall through the safety net. I think that that's part of the beauty of capitalism is that it creates so much wealth that we can afford to do that. Socialism doesn't do that. It doesn't produce the wealth. It simply pirates the money that's there until it's all gone. So The human condition is a difficult thing, and history is a difficult thing, and morons, I shouldn't call her a moron, she's not stupid, she's ignorant. Ignoramuses, like AOC, are the problem because they don't see the complexity. So I read devotionals. Every morning I wake up, the first thing I read is a devotional text to set my mind where I want it to be. And the funny thing is, if if any of you read devotionals, you will find an amazing number of times when the question that is bothering you Is answered in the devotional. It's just—it's just because there is a God and He is listening and He is talking. And so now I'm listening. This year I'm reading a devotional written by uh, Pope Benedict XVI, Joseph Ratzinger, the greatest theologian alive, Um, and this is what I read uh, yesterday. It is a thoroughly Christian impulse to combat suffering and injustice in the world. But to imagine that men can construct a world without them by means of social reform and the desire to do so here and now is an error, a deep misunderstanding of human nature, for suffering does not come into the world solely because of the inequality of possessions and power, nor is it just a burden from which men should free themselves. Anyone who wishes to do that must escape into the distorted world of narcotics in order thus to destroy himself and to find himself in conflict with reality it's only by enduring himself by freeing freeing himself through suffering from the tyranny of egoism that man finds himself and he finds his truth his joy his happiness so if you accept that if you accept that to do that while you're seeking to do what's right you have to understand that suffering's not going to go away that you're not gonna create a system that's gonna make the world a better you know, a perfect place. If you accept that suffering and injustice and even evil are always going to be here, if you understand there's no political solution ever, we're always gonna be in this struggle, then you have to say, well, given that, given that, what am I what's my purpose here? And your purpose, of course, is to wake up every day and take care of the things that matter, support your family, to shower the people you love with love, to do your work well, to do it with a focus and attention, Uh, whether you are doing what I'm doing or you're building a business or you're sweeping the streets uh, or you're taking out the trash, it really does not matter. You just do it well, and that's the Christian thing to do. And the truth is, when you think about it that way, right this minute, Right this minute, I would rather do that in America in particular and in the West in general than anywhere else on Earth for the simple reason that we are freer here than other places, we still can fight for our freedom, we still can speak for our freedom, and because this is the front line. This is where it's happening. This country is what it's always been still. It is the freest land we have. And our freedom means that the worst ideas and the best ideas are in struggle and the worst actions and the best are all going on simultaneously. And if that's true, then this country is still in play and it's still the last best hope and it's still worth fighting for and praying for uh, in the full knowledge that it exists as it always has existed in a very, very broken world. So I I drove to the studio today, and I will be billing the Daily Wire approximately uh, $400 for the gas. I don't know if you're watching your gas prices. I'm sure you are. They're incredibly high. But there is an app that everyone who buys gas needs to know about, Get Upside. My listeners are earning cash back for every gallon of gas every time they fill up. Just download the free GetUpside app in the App Store or Google Play right now. Use promo code Clavin for $0.25 per gallon or more on your first fill-up cash back. Don't pay full price at the pump anymore. Get cash back using GetUpside. Just download the app for free and use promo code Clavin for $0.25 per gallon or more on your first tank. Some people who drive a lot are making as much as two to three hundred dollars a year in cash back and there's no catch. The cash back gets added right to your account. You can cash out anytime to your bank account, PayPal, or an e-gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free GetUpside app and use promo code Claven to get 25 cents per gallon or more cash back on your first tank. And I know you're thinking, hey, that sounds great, but how do you spell Claven? It's K-L-A-V-A-N. There are no E's in Claven. So thinking about the State of the Union, one thing I have to say is, I think the good guys are on the march. I think that sometimes, uh, we are at our most disgruntled when we actually are making headway. There is an amazing story this week out of San Francisco. You probably saw it, but I don't know if you've taken stock of really how amazing it is. You know that San Francisco is the left of the left. After you, go, if you go left from San Francisco, you fall into the Pacific Ocean and you're just swept away into some gigantic like morass of leftism. That's six percent Republicans in San Francisco. That's absolutely true. Six percent Republicans they just recalled three school board members for being too woke. Now, part of that wokeness was they shut down the schools and they wouldn't open the schools. It was worse than that. They not only wouldn't open the schools at all, Joe Biden was asking them to, the mayor uh, was asking them to, um, and, and they wouldn't. they wouldn't open them And then Gavin Newsom, the governor, said, well, I'll give you like $12 million if you'll reopen the schools. So they opened them for a single day. The single day they reopened them to get the money, and they took the money and they didn't reopen them. And meanwhile, while they're doing that, they're having discussions on, maybe we should rename our schools. Maybe we should, you know, Abraham Lincoln really, they actually said this, he didn't really do enough to end segregation. I mean, here's a man who took a bullet to the brain uh, to make this a better country and a more equal country. And what did these people, what, you know, this is what gets me about all these people who tear down statues. What have they ever done for anybody? What have they ever done for this country besides tear down the statues of better men than themselves? And so that's what they're talking about. And the parents are saying, you know, our school people, our our, uh, children are not being educated. Even the mayor, and of course the mayor, she's the mayor of San Francisco. She is not a a right winger. Uh, She, even she was saying they've got to open up.
4: Unfortunately, the failure to educate our kids properly throughout this pandemic Is I think what many parents were frustrated over and seeing their children go from these, you know, talkative, robust personalities to all of a sudden, you know, quiet and uncomfortable and just different has been really, I think, a breaking point for a lot of families in San Francisco.
0: So it's a really important point. It was what these parents were seeing from their children that made them think you guys were doing something wrong. You've done something wrong. You've closed these schools. You're not taking care of our kids. And the kids uh, and parents who have seen... Remember, this earthquake, this is a a little earthquake. This is a San Francisco earthquake. But remember, it happened in Virginia. This is why uh, Youngkin did so well in Virginia, part of why he did it, because he took the parents' part. It's happening in Arizona. They're voting on that now. It's, It's just... A movement that is going on across this country. And the response from the teachers, especially the woke teachers, has been genuinely insane. The response has been, you have no right as parents to get in the way of what we are doing to your children. I have just this one example. It's a TikTok video, so I'm not going to generalize about it. But it does does express, I wouldn't play it except for the fact that it does express a lot of what these teachers are saying.
3: So I see how you think that you've done something here because parents or community members have voiced concern to their elected official, which is how that process works. Um, not not bringing it to a teacher, right? They're taking it to the elected official, um, and now that uh, legislators are are trying to implement these things. Um, but still, in fact, a parent, not my boss. I don't. I don't actually answer to them. So. Get
0: bent. Get bent. And there's that fascist smile. They all have it. All the fascist women have that smile. What is that smile? I mean, it says, like, yes, get bent. You don't own me. You're not, your parents, parents are not my boss. Get, you know, they all have that same lunatic smile. Just the, the, the appearance of that smile should get you fired at this point. I mean, just the, oh, yeah, that's the fascist smile. Get out of my school. But this is a big story, and it is a big story not just politically, but culturally. It's a big story politically because I think it presages some, you know, a, a- tidal wave that is coming at the polls in November. Obviously, things can change, things can go wrong, but right this minute, I mean, you heard Henry Olson on the show and I've spoken to Henry and he says, you know, they are in a big, big pit and it doesn't look like they're going to be digging their way out anytime soon. They keep saying they are, but it doesn't look like it and they're lying about things and everybody knows they're lying, everybody can see what they are. They're kind of dialing everything back. But it's a big story culturally, too, because it's about moms. And I know I drive this point home, but it is the point. It is what we are seeing in the same way in Ukraine, with the Russians invading Ukraine, we're seeing the wages of the Green New Deal. We are seeing the wages of feminism with these schools. Remember, these teachers who are saying, you have no right to affect our curriculum. They're not teaching reading, writing, and arithmetic, where a teacher might say, well, you know, as a parent, you really might not know algebra. You really might not know uh, how to parse a sentence. I've got to be able to teach them how to parse a sentence, even though you you can't do it. That would be one thing. They're teaching them values. They're teaching them ugly values, and the mom's came home. Remember when this co- this COVID thing started and people started going home, moms came home, something like three times more moms came home to take care of the kids, right? Somebody had to take care of the kids because suddenly the kids were home. And this me- meant that the moms were home with their kids. And if the kids were learning online, they were seeing it with their own eyes, what was happening to the children. If the kids were in San Francisco and they weren't getting anything, they saw these kids playing video games 15 hours a day, they saw it with their own eyes. And I said this in a British interview and somebody tweeted, Are you saying that a working class, a working mother can't pay attention to their kids' education? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's exactly what I'm saying. I'm saying that when a m- mother is at home, specifically a mom is at home, you have unleashed the beast. Why do you think they want you out of your homes? Why do you think it is when they say you know women have to be treated better in the workplace? Uh, they never. They always say, well, we need daycare. We need daycare in the workplace. We need. We need uh, childcare. They never say, what we need is better pay for their husbands so they can stay home and take care of their children, because the children are the country, and they're taking care of them. The mothering of them is the most important job in the country, right? Instead, they say, oh, she's just a a homemaker, just a homemaker, yeah, you know, just a homemaker, because she's shaping the souls and the bodies of the people who are going to take over the country, and they want to do that, and you can see what it is they're doing, and you can see, you know, you can see what they're teaching them, and it's it's horrible. You know, this is, this is the thing. The lie that the left tells is they say, oh, you're, now you're burning books because you won't let us teach critical race theory. Now you're censoring us because you won't, you won't let us teach critical race theory. No, no, absolutely not. This is not a battle between censorship and freedom. This is a battle between their values and our values and their values suck. That's the difference education education is always going to be about inculcating values in the young, right? And we want to inculcate freedom, free thought, freedom of opinion, how to think, how to find information, information, history of the country, good and bad. I'm, I'm all for that. I, I was taught that 100 years ago. I was taught the good and bad about the country, but I was also taught to love my country, which I think is a natural thing. and something all children want to do. They're teaching them that their bodies do not uh, determine their sex, which is a lie. They're teaching them that their whiteness makes them... Uh, wicked, which is a lie and a racist lie and a sick anti-creation uh, lie. It's a it's a horrible thing. We are talking about values. Somebody's values are going to win in this uh, in our school systems. Is it going to be mom's values or is it going to be these lunatics with their fascist smiles? So there's all that stuff, and then of course there's the masks. The masks that have been done nothing but damage these children, that cut them off from each other's faces. I mean it's. It's a tragedy. It is a tragedy, and it's and, and it's wicked what they're doing to the children. And now you can see as November starts to loom in the uh, you know in the windshield, you can see them. They're saying they're taking away these uh, mask mandates, but don't be fooled because Rachel Rochelle Walensky, who runs the CDC, uh, she said the quiet part out loud. This is what she said.
1: We are assessing the most important factors based on where we are in the pandemic and will soon put guidance in place that is relevant and encourages prevention measures when they are most needed to protect public health and our hospitals. We want to give people a break from things like mask wearing when these metrics are better and then have the ability to reach for them again should things worsen. (laughs)
0: Yeah, they're just, should things worsen, like, after November? If things worsen after November, the masks come right back on. The masks haven't worked. They haven't done anything. Nothing they've done has done anything except the vaccines. The vaccines have kept people from being killed. They've kept people from dying, according to the best figures. Those are the best figures. Doctors are studying this around the world. I mean, I keep saying this, and, you know, I'll say it to anybody. Doctors are studying this around the world. They're not sure of the entire effects of the uh, the vaccines. If they're not sure, you shouldn't be sure. But the best numbers that they have right now show that they it has had a huge effect on fatalities, and I think that's an important fact. You know, so aside from that, aside from Trump's vaccine, Trump's you know Operation Warp Speed vaccine, they haven't done anything. They haven't accomplished anything except damage small businesses, transfer wealth to the biggest businesses, and do incredible harm to our children. Okay, so again, what we're arguing about is not free speech, it is not censorship. We're arguing, we're saying their values stink. You know, in uh, Arizona, they're debating a bill to ban CRT, critical race theory, which teaches that there's something essential. There's nothing essential about your body. They, you know, you can be a, have a penis, but you're a girl. You can have a vagina, but you're a boy. All that's, you know, that's not essential. B- but if your epidermis has, happens to be brown or white, that, oh my gosh, that is, your whole personality is written out right there. That you can never get away from. In Arizona, this guy, and I, I love his name, his, his name is Walt Blackman, but he's actually, named, he's actually a, a black man named Walt Blackman. And he got up and he started talking, uh, he's a Republican, he got up in the Arizona State Senate, and he just unloaded on CRT, and you know, this critical race theory, and here's what he
5: said. If we want to talk about racism, we, reth- we need to really talk about it. If we want to talk about oppression of a people... Let's really talk about that. Let's talk about the 1,300 black babies that are aborted every single day. But nobody wants to have those types of discussions. We want to talk about CRT and make make us feel good about things. There are more black babies aborted than they are born. But we're not talking about that. We want to talk about CRT. There are some real issues going on in, in, in black communities. And the very people that want to push this are the ones who are killing us every day. or support, those programs that are killing us. So if we want to have conversations about this type of stuff, let's talk about some real issues in the black community.
0: So you can't really lose hope when there are Americans like that guy and he's willing to stand up and say what has to be said and he's got the facts on his side and he's got the truth on his side, more importantly, you can't just sit and stare at your lap and say the country is done, the country is finished when he is there fighting the fight. I mean, you have to stand up. You gotta be in it to win it. Despair, this is the thing about despair, it's not just a sin, it's also bad strategy. So if there's anything I love, you know, I love my country, I love my family, sure, but I really love meat. And the thing about meat is that 85% of the grass-fed beef in stores and online is imported. Don't pay a premium for low-quality foreign meat. Good Ranchers sells 100% American meat and delivers it to your door for a great price. Their beef is prime and upper choice, the highest quality possible. They've got ribeyes, T-bones, New York strips, and more. Plus, their packaging makes it easy to cook what you want and save the rest, which keeps you from wasting anything. Head on over to GoodRanchers.com slash Claven today to solve your meat problem once and for all. Get the transparency, quality, and cuts you've been craving. Order now with code Claven to get $30 off your box. Now is the time to support American farms and ranches. They're hurting and you're hungry. Solve both of those problems with a box of American meat delivered. Whoever buys the meat in your house needs to go to GoodRanchers.com slash Clavin today. And I know what you're thinking. Meat! How do you spell Clavin? It's K-L-A-V-A-N. While we're looking at the country and while we're saying to ourselves, oh, the country is in great shape, it's in bad shape, it's a great country, it's a bad country, it's gone south, it'll never come back, or whatever we're saying, you have to remember that we are wrapped in a distorting force field that is the media. This is just an important thing to remember because even though we know it's there, it still distorts our perception. I don't know if you were following this uh, Trump story, this Trump spying story. John Durham uh, has added something to his indictment of uh, Michael Sussman, the lawyer who was indicted for lying to the FBI by going to the FBI and bringing them the Steele dossier that started this whole thing. That was all lies, a complete fabrication, and he brought it to them and said, I'm just coming to you as a good citizen, when really he was working for the Clinton campaign. And now he has added to this. There's no uh, indictments. But... He has added to this some information about what these guys were doing to Donald Trump while they were trying to pin him with a Russian collusion story that was a complete fantasy. And this is another one of these stories— And the reason I I want to harp on it is because another one of these stories where the story is not so much the story, the story is the storytellers. It's the media, it's this distorting force field that surrounds us, whether we like it or not, whether we know it's there or not, that changes the way we see things. You know, you have to remember, the media would have lied to us twice as much if they weren't so busy cheating on their wives, if they weren't so busy chasing their female interns around the room, if they weren't jerking off on Zoom calls and grooming little kids. They They would have really lied to us, but they lied to us, okay? This this is, I mean, let, let's just start by listening to what, remember Donald Trump said, they spied on me. The Clinton campaign spied on me. And Bill Barr got up at one point, and he said he was spied, he was spied on, it's true. And Barr, you know, the, the funny thing about Barr is the Trump people hate him because he was so down the middle. He was so just, I'm going to do my job, I'm not going to take anything from anybody. And the Trump people hate him, and the anti-Trump people hate him. Everybody hates him, which is a good indication that he's an honest man. That is the reward for being an honest man, is everybody hates you. You know, Bill Barr was like, this way, and he said Trump was spying too. And this was the media's response to this.
5: It's completely wrong. It did not it did not happen. This was there was no spying. There was it, uh, uh, Pizzagate. The
2: conspiracy team. Exactly. Th- it's pizza gate. Conspiracy g- right. gene is no more accurate than pizza mm-hmm. gate.
5: No one was spying on the president through the microwave. No one spied on the Trump campaign. There
2: was no spying.
5: There was no spying. No spying. There was no spying. There was no spying. There, no spy. there was no spying. There was no
1: spying. There was no spying. There was no spying. Wow.
4: By the way, there was no spying of course. There was no
1: spying There was no spying on the Trump campaign on the Trump campaign It's been a year and a half there, there was, was no spying, spying on the Trump campaign of this crap no spying, no spying on the, on the Trump, Trump campaign which is a conspiracy
4: theory No spying, no
0: spying on, the on the Trump, Trump campaign. campaign Facts Matter
4: And, oh by the way, no. There was no There w- was no 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 spying on the Trump campaign
0: there's <laughs> on the I love Don Lemon. He's always the one I love the best because he's always so weary. He's so weary with the world. The world. The world is just not fine enough for him. You know, they, they keep telling the truth, and you know he's he's got the narrative. He knows what the narrative is, and that truth keeps getting in the way. He's always got that sigh and that little doe-eyed look. You know, ah, there's no spying. So here's what John Durham says happened. And it's, it's it is a little complicated, but what the left what the left is saying, what the press, the media, and I shouldn't say the 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 left the communication arm of the left, the media, is saying is, it's too complicated for you to understand. They're actually saying this, you know, it's, it's so complicated. Uh, you know, let's just move on. Let's move on. It's not that complicated, but it is a little bit complicated. There were these tech companies that were hired by various people, including the White House, to study, uh, you know, internet traffic to see if Putin was messing around and getting into our security and uh, trying to affect the election. And some of them, the guy who is they're talking about in the indictment is a guy named Rod Rodney Jaffe. Uh, he's not named in it, but everybody knows it's him. And some of them found information, some kind of information, a number of calls, because this wasn't actual. They weren't they weren't hearing what was in the seeing what was in the interchange. They were just following traffic, right? Some of the traffic between what may have been the Trump campaign and a bank in Russia looked a little suspicious to them. So remember, they were hired by people to do this security. So did they go to the people who hired them? No. They went to the press. They went to the press, and then they went to the Clinton campaign. That's who they took the information to, right? And the Clinton campaign hadn't hired them. They just went to them with this material. Now, the material turns out to have been completely bogus in the sense that it didn't really prove anything about it. But yeah, that's spying on the Trump campaign. There's just no question about it. And the and the bank story turned out to be a complete uh, nonsense. And this guy Jaffe, you know, is w- was in the press. I think it was the New Yorker, I believe. He was in under a pseudonym, saying to the press, "Well, you know, we had to uh, we had to take this to the press because we needed to get it out there before the election." In other words, they were targeting Trump. Now, after that parade of media saying there was no spying, there was no spying, there was no spying. What you would think would be, you know, they would go through the the center of, they would walk down Fifth Avenue, right? They would leave the New York Times building, Times Square. I don't know if it's still in Times Square, but we'll say symbolically it was in Times Square. They'd walk through Times Square, down Broadway, shirtless, whipping themselves, saying, oh, please forgive us, we lied, and we dealt, dealt, you know, completely distorted the story. We hated Trump so much we lost our minds. But they don't, and this is what I was talking about, about Trump, the people who hated Trump went nuts, but also the people who loved Trump beyond, uh, beyond the, the amount you should love any politician. They also lost their way a little bit, but not like this, and they didn't have the power, that's the thing. The people who voted for Trump didn't have the power, that's why they voted for Trump, so they could have a voice as well. You know, you you gotta remember this, you gotta put it in context. At the time, if somebody who once met Trump was caught reading from Russia with love, that was proof that Trump was a Russian spy, all right? So now, you know, you ask Jen Psaki about, the the White House spokeswoman Jen Psaki about this, and she is utterly silent about the spying. right? She's not gonna come out and say anything.
3: Durham says there was an outside company with ties to the Clinton camp uh, monitoring server data info on the executive office of the president through the Obama administration, possibly into the Trump administration. Uh, do you know if there's still a system picking up server data on the EOP, and if not, when it stopped?
1: Again, I, I know you asked my colleague a few questions about this the other day, uh, but I would point you any questions about this to the Department of Justice.
3: And then, is what was described in the, the filing there, monitoring internet traffic, is that, generally speaking,
1: would that be considered something? Along the lines of spying, again, I would point you to the Department of Justice.
0: <laughs> She's got nothing to say uh, about the spying, you know. And and here's oh, here's Hillary. This is my favorite: it is Hillary being accosted by a reporter?
2: Hillary, Laura Collins, Daily Mail. Did you pay to spy on the Trump campaign? When are you going to comment on the spying allegations, Hillary? Did you pay for the have spied on?
0: She just waves, she doesn't say anything. But the key thing about that is the accent, right? She's from the British paper, the Daily Mail, because none of the, Ameri- you know, if if it had been Trump, if they caught something on Trump, there would have been all out there shouting questions at him. So it just it just brings me back to the idea that this is, a, we're seeing our country through a distorted lens when we pay attention to politics. We need to pay attention to our own lives a little bit, our own work and the things that we do and they start to judge the country according to that, you know, and I think that once you realize that Pope Benedict was right, that we are always going to be broken until the until Jesus comes again, uh, and how evil is always there, and how suffering. What what Benedict has a wonderful line. He calls it the passion of being human, which means the suffering of being human is always going to be there. Then you realize that, like, no, this is the fight we're in. This is the thing that we have to do, and 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 it, it's happening here. It's happening here because we are who we are. Because we are America. We are the future of the country. I, I mean. I think, I think that people have gotten lost in the idea of what human beings can do and what they can be and what we can accomplish. We have to address the problems of our country the same way we address our own problems, right? You don't sit around and say, I'm done, I'm finished, I, I'm so evil, I'm so wicked, I just can't go forward. You know, look around, you're not that evil. <laughs> you know, you may, you may aspire to be evil, but when you think about the fact that like there are serial killers out there sleeping like a baby and you're worried about the fact that you forgot to take the trash out, you know, it, it, you have to have the, pers- the same perspective on your country. Throughout history, every country, there's never been a good country. There's only been countries in which good things have happened. This is a country in which great things have happened. Great things have happened. And great things may still happen if we win the fight that we're in. And it is a fight of values. It is a fight about morality. It is a fight about what human beings are. It's a fight about uh, how we treat one another. It's a fight about whether we judge one another according to the color of our skin, whether we treat women with respect and and acknowledge that women are women. That's a fight we can win. We can win this fight. I think we will. I think we're on the march, but we just have to remember we have to be in it, we have to stay in it, and we have to keep hoping uh, and, and keep our hopes alive so that we fight with everything we've got. So I now have a Ring alarm and I am delighted. You probably already know, of course, about the Ring doorbell, the Ring video doorbell, but Ring makes an alarm that is an award-winning home security system with available professional monitoring. Best of all, you can easily install it yourself. It really is easy. If I can do it, you can do it. Go to ring.com slash and browse through all of the sensors that will detect motion on any house or apartment. You will get notified right on your phone whenever anything is detected And it's more than just security, you can add sensors that help protect your home from flood, freeze, and fire too. If anything happens, professional monitoring will call you and can request Emergency services. Ring has an award winning alarm now. So go to ring.com forward slash Claven to get a great deal on a Ring Alarm home security kit today. The thing I love about these is they're right on your app. No matter where you are, you can be contacted. So that's ring.com forward slash Claven. And I, you know, obviously you're thinking, oh, yeah, it sounds great. If only I could spell Claven. It's K L A V A N. There are no E's in Claven. I just make it look this easy. All right, let's talk about sex. Uh, <laughs> A lot of people say to me, why do you talk about sex? Well, I think sex and love uh, are at the center not only of our culture, uh, the center of our morality, some of the maybe even the source of our morality, but I think they're also at the center of our physical existence as, as human beings. And when I talk about my feelings about this country and I talk about the things that make me rant at the breakfast table or lie awake at night and worry that maybe uh, my country's gone south, a lot of it has to do with love and sex. It has to do with, uh, you know uh male athletes pretending to be female and and essentially eliminating all the hard work that young women do to uh to achieve the you know the great athletic things that they achieve and it has to do with abortion which is also part of this um and it has to do with reality with not wanting to be forced to lie or try have people try to force me to lie because that is is essentially when Tyranny happens. Tyranny occurs when you can't say that no, you guys are wrong. I'm, you know, you can bounce me off Twitter all you want. A man can't become a woman or whatever. You know, they're going to force people to say that the the lies are the truth, and that is the end of a country. That's the end of a free nation, right there. And we did we did this bonus video. You know, if you subscribe to the Andrew Clavin YouTube channel, uh, we have bonus content there. And one of the things that we like to do is one of our producers, Danny D'Amico, goes and gets some of the craziest things off that libs of uh, Tac. TikTok site, which is an invaluable site um, and they gather all the craziest libs uh, out there and they play them and then he puts them together and doesn't show them to me and then they just play them and I react and it's usually pretty funny because they're so nuts uh, that I can't help but react comically uh, and I'll give I, we just put them together a little bit so you get a, a sample of what I was looking at in this last bonus video.
4: So if the only reason you don't wanna date someone boils down to the fact that they're trans, that's transphobia right there. If you don't wanna date a trans woman because you want kids, well, you better be keeping that same attitude with cis women who are infertile, or that's transphobia. I am a biological female, and me saying that makes a lot of people very angry, um, which is embarrassing for them because I am assigned female at birth. Yes, I did assign that myself, but I don't see how that's relevant.
1: I often get told, you look like a man. I, I look like a man. I'm not one. What, what, what? So I recently told my parents that I may be a little bit romantically interested in women. I tell my dad and he goes,
5: well, I would love to see you get a woman pregnant. And I said, oh, no, no, no. She would be getting me pregnant.
0: (laughs) Now. As I was watching this, I was laughing and I was making fun of the guy who says I, some people say that I look like a man. He's got a big hairy chest, he's got a beard. And, and th- that last fellow was actually very close to the uh, principle that I want to talk about to some degree. But at the same time, I was, I was kidding around about it. It actually made me sad. I mean, I was looking at these young people who were being robbed. Of their essential selves are being robbed of something uh, that is the the tool by which they can experience normal, creative love and romance. Now, some of them, you know, most people who think they're transgender are just gay. I mean, there is such a thing, I think, as transgenderism. But most people who think they're transgender are just gay, and they're trying to invent some kind of new sexuality. And, and, but a lot of this is a fad. A lot of this is passing through and it will go away and it's going to ruin a lot of young women's lives, especially because young women are more, uh, socially oriented than men are and can be affected by this stuff more. And of course, a, a woman's appearance is more important than a man's appearance. I mean, you know, if, if you want to attract a, a partner, uh, for women, appearance is more important. Just think of the fact that Ben Shapiro has a, a beautiful wife and that tells you everything you need to. <laughs> I'm, I'm joking, but still. Uh, you, you know, um, th- this this thing, this formation of families, this love of a man and a woman that creates children, this is the chief consolation and joy of life. And I know that not everybody does it, but that doesn't change the fact. It doesn't change the fact that it is the center of what human beings do as bodies. It's what our bodies are made to do, and it is the sort of uh, pinnacle of what they're made to do. And I feel like this is being taken away as a norm. I read somewhere, I cannot believe the statistic that 40% of children are being born without out of wedlock now, that their father fatherlessness has reached 40%. I find that incredibly hard to believe, but it's tragic. If so, you know. Uh, you know on valentine's day we my wife and i don't really celebrate these days very much every day is valentine's day when you're married to me uh and um but but we i said let's go out at least to dinner and we couldn't find a place that we knew everybody was booked up because everybody goes out to dinner and we found this place we've never been to and we walk in and it's like decorated with a million hearts and uh, spangles and silver and red and everything is valentine's day and they would not leave us alone. The waiters, were they were busy, so they were trying to shovel us out the door. And we're trying to have a drink before dinner, and they keep coming over. Uh, are you ready to order? Are you ready to order? Are you ready to order? And we kept saying, no, you're just going to have to come back. If, are you ready to order? And I thought, you know, what's the point of, you know, I don't go out to dinner to talk to the waiters. I go out to dinner to talk to my wife. What's the point of all these hearts and flowers? And it kind of reminded me of the way uh, that weddings and proposals have grown more and more elaborate uh, as marriage has grown more fragile, as fewer people are getting married. So, you you know, you have this big elaborate thing where you have a plane fly over and say, will you marry me? And it's filmed and you put it on uh, Facebook and everybody sees it. You put it on Instagram, you know, and that's, oh my gosh, that's a proposal. And you invite a thousand people uh, that you've never met to your wedding and all this. And then you have a big bachelor party and a bachelorette party. And then two years later, you're divorced, you know, because <laughs> nobody is really paying attention to what marriage is about. And the thing is, it's, it's interesting this is an effect of the radicalism in the country, of leftism, it's the effect of feminism, it's an effect of a philosophy that this is not an important thing, that marriage as we knew it is a bad thing. And this has always gone together. If you buy my book, as I'm sure you will because you're a good person, you don't want to go to hell. If you buy The Truth and Beauty, you'll see that then too, They, the radicals hated marriage. They wanted an end to marriage. Radicalism always has two things going, it always has, they're gonna create a perfect politics which is gonna perfect humankind, and they're gonna end marriage. And the same thing was happening back in the Romantic days when they had the French Revolution gonna create a paradise, and of course it ended in bloodshed, and you had the free love movement which was gonna put an end to marriage. And why do these things go together? Why do they go together? You know, when we talk about marriage, we sometimes talk about, well, it's a great bulwark for freedom. Marriage gets in the way of government. We talk about women's protection. If you have a baby, now you know your husband will be there to help you take care of the baby. But marriage is also a statement that the business of life is children. And that is a statement which also says that the business of life is in some sense dying. You know, everything about marriage is about dying in some sense. It's about becoming an adult. It's about pouring your love into someone who's uh, who's not immortal, so you're committing yourself to grieving eventually. Uh, it's about being naked in front of another person, both emo- physically and emotionally, which emphasizes your weakness. But because it's about children, it's about death. Death and sex are deeply related. And this is always my uh, why I'm, I hit it um, superhero movies, Eros and Thanatos, are deeply related for a simple reason. Things that don't reproduce sexually don't die. If you divide, right, you just become two. Both of those two things are the same thing. It's it's only when you reproduce by creating another human being that you become obsolete and you die, you fall away. You are gone, right? And your children live on, but that's different. And that's why I think, when I talk about the female body and why I think that people who don't believe in humanity, who don't believe in broken humanity, who don't believe in flawed humanity, also hate the the female body because the human body, and they're revolted by the female body because for those... You know, for those who love life as it is, human life, the female body, of course, is this glorious source of life and beauty and pleasure and joy. But for those who fear death, it's a central function, is a reminder of death. Eros and Thanatos are linked together. And I've talked about this before, that I was walking through the... National Gallery, the Great Art Museum in, in DC, and I was looking at all the pictures of the Virgin Mary, and as the Renaissance turned into the Enlightenment, the vir- all the Virgin Mary pictures started to fade away, and all the classical nudes started to come out. You start to see Venus looking in a mirror nude, you know, and all these nudes started to come out, and of course the Virgin Mary was never depicted that way, she was always depicted almost kind of angelically. And And I thought that movement, that movement away from this idea that there's something holy about giving birth, that there's something holy about being a mother, that there's something about being a mother that is actually separate from men, that is distinct from men. Even though men get you pregnant, the whole point of the Virgin Mary is, right, even if men, a man doesn't get you pregnant, you're still doing something that is godly and spiritual and bringing life into the world and in awaking the soul within that life. You know, sometimes I say that women create souls. They don't create them. They awaken the soul within them. But once you start to be, once you start to um, just think of a woman's body as a source of sexuality and pleasure, which it also is, then you start to move toward this idea of death because then all this is is what a man thinks of a woman's body. If we look at a woman's body that way, it's all about the man, and the man is confronting the fact of his own death, as well as his desires, right? And he wants to emphasize the desires, but he wants to get around that child, which is a remembrance of his own death. And that's why you start to get things like abortion, why you get 3,000 babies killed a day, because men want to be able to have the sex without confronting life itself and the sacredness of life itself. You know, there's a picture now If you don't think the left is about death, if you don't think it is a movement of death—and I'm not talking about liberals, guys. I'm really not. I'm not talking about your ordinary, old-fashioned Democrat who thinks we should spend more on social programs. You know? (laughs) That's an argument any two rational people can have. I am not talking about that. I'm talking about these woke, leftist nutbags who are running the Democrat Party, who are not the majority of Democrats but are running the party. If you don't think it's about death, look at this picture. It looks like it's in Germany. And it's a picture of a a lady with her child, and she's breastfeeding another child. So it's the Madonna, right? It's when I say a picture of the Madonna, this is a picture of the Madonna, and it says, the future or climate killer. If you have a baby, if you are nursing your baby, you are destroying the world. So either we see this um, a woman's body as something that is central to humankind, and we accept that humankind is imperfect and mortal or we think oh we can fix politics everything's going to be perfect everything's going to be great and then we cannot face the fact that we're mortal and we die and our bodies die you know and i think that this is this is why i think you get so many uh, so many of these people are gay and i don't you know I don't hit against gay people, and I don't even hit against transgender people. I think it must be very painful to be a transgender person. But if you are not directly involved, even even with a a woman who can't have babies or a man who can't have babies in a marriage that is not going to produce babies by choice or by, by uh, impossibility, even if you're in that marriage, you're still in, in that uh, sphere of baby-making, even though you're in the negative part of it. But gay people need an extra little dose of wisdom to understand that this thing, this this relation between men and women that creates babies, is at the center of human life. And I know plenty of gay people who have that wisdom, and they understand it, and they understand that they are something not off-center, which I think is true, that it, their gay people are off-center, but they think, this is who I am, and this is how I'm going to live, and I'm going to live morally within that context. And I have nothing to say about that whatsoever, as you know. But... But I think you need this—there is something about these guys who are—who, if they don't have that wisdom, they want to corrupt and end this thing that offends them. This this is how you get these books in our schools that are teaching children that they're not men or boys or girls, that their bodies don't matter. There's this guy who runs a bookstore in Wyoming that is there to teach children about sexuality, and this is what he has to say. His name is Corey uh, Silverman, Silverberg, something like that.
4: What we can say is that everyone does feel like one thing. They feel like one thing, and then maybe they can feel like something else. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we kind of just broke it down the way that I do as a sex educator. So we distinguish um, what we call sex assignment at birth. So the fact is that, like, you know, we kind of tend to think that we come out as boys or girls. What actually happens is you come out, and someone looks at the outside of your body, and based on what they see, they say you're a boy or a girl. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they're not sure. So we actually told that—first of all, we told that truth, right, which is something we're usually silent about. And then we talk about uh, the ways that we can feel different, right? So feel like a boy or feel like a girl or feel like neither. Um, so we kind of break it down using a lot of, lot of illustrations. But the other thing I'll say is that this stuff actually is less complicated for kids than it is for adults. Um, I find as an educator, kids don't actually have, you know, I can say to kids, there's boys, there's girls, and there's the rest of us. Mm-hmm. And kids are totally fine with that.
0: I mean, that's a really sick thing to do, and it's a sick thing to do because one of the things that children have to come to terms with is their body, what it means to be a boy, what it means to be a girl, and what he is telling them is it doesn't matter, and that's a lie, and to lie to children. Of course children accept lies. They don't know any better. You know, They, they don't know what anything is, so you t- lie to them, and yes, you can corrupt them, and that's what this guy is doing. And. You know, we had this fellow on, Mark Vernon. I really enjoyed interviewing him. He was a a guy uh, who, along with me, loves Owen Barfield, one of the Inklings. And he talked about how consciousness of, of individuality developed at Right around the beginning, the year zero, right? That's when the idea of individuality started to come into the human mind. Up until that moment, uh, you were bound to your family, you were bound to your tribe, you were part of your tribe. You might be part of Pharaoh, you might be part of this civilization. You didn't really die. You know, you, didn't, you actually didn't, it wasn't like your individual death because you were part of this thing that was ongoing. But as people became aware of the fact that they were separate individuals, This is when Jesus comes into the world, and this is when Jesus becomes important to people because what he says is, yes, even the individual is connected to something bigger, namely God, and even the individual lives forever. Watch this. Watch this. That's the resurrection. When we lose that faith, when we lose that faith, we want our individuality to govern everything. We want to be able to change reality and especially escape this fact of our death and this fact of our sinfulness and our brokenness. And all of this, all of this, craving for perfection all of this craving for bodiless life genderless life is running away is running away from the facts of life and the facts of death that make us who we are that make us who we are nobody likes being mortal nobody likes mortality but in in mortality, we have the limits of our search for the meaning of ourselves the limits of our search to become ourselves and the promise and the promise that this longing that we have inside ourselves for immortality has some kind of goal beyond this life, that there is some kind of goal beyond this life. Lose that faith, lose that faith, and you lose the entire meaning of existence. You've become that, you become, go, you go to war with your body, you go to war with your civilization, you go to war with your traditions, and you end up destroying everything. So if your car's not working and you're sitting in your car pretending to drive to the auto parts store to get a new part so your car will work, you might want to think about rockauto.com. First of all, it's not stupid like sitting in your car when it's not running. It's smart because you can get all the parts you need for your car right on your computer and the prices are terrific. And best of all, best of all, when you say rockauto.com, the women swoon. I try it. I mean, it's just amazing. You can, don't take my word for it. Try it, and it's not just because you sound really cool, but you do, obviously. It's also because women know that you know to get your parts online on your computer at a great price. They have a great catalog. It's incredibly easy to use. They've been doing this for a long time. They have reliably low prices that are the same whether you're a do-it-yourselfer or a professional all the parts your car will ever need at rockauto.com. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. And they have a box that says, how did you hear about us? And in that box, you write Claven, But you have to say it the same way. You have to say Claven and then spell it K L A V A N. There are no easy
5: things.
0: As American institutions quietly act in the Chinese Communist Party's interests, it's time someone exposes it, which is why I'm excited to announce that one of The Daily Wire's newest projects is The Enemy Within. It's begun streaming exclusively at The Daily Wire. As of today, the new series features acclaimed journalist and expert in national threats, Lee Smith, as he uncovers a political coup orchestrated by America's ruling elites to generate their own wealth and power at the expense of the American people's safety and freedom. From Fauci to our educational system to Hollywood and everything in between, each episode will take you deep into what's going on behind the scenes, what those who are supposed to be protecting you don't want you to know. Check out the trailer right here.
1: What if everything we think we know about our leaders Our society and our relations with the rest of the world is wrong. America is facing two major challenges. One is the Chinese Communist Party. However, the most significant threat comes from within. You're trying to obscure responsibility for four million people dying around the world. Senator Paul, you do not know what you are talking about. We've already seen evidence of how the elites want to run the United States. They're modeling themselves after Chinese autocracy. For over a decade, the People's Republic of China has stood publicly accused
2: of acts of cruelty and wickedness that match the cruelty and wickedness of medieval torturers
1: and executioners. Diane Feinstein had a Chinese spy as her driver for 20 years. We're not talking about one person infiltrating senior levels at the CIA or the White House. We're talking about an entire elite class throughout the political, corporate, academic, cultural, and media establishment. My name is Lee Smith. I've been a journalist, for more than 30 years. This is the most astonishing espionage and infiltration operation in history. What you're going to see in this series will shock you. This is the Enemy Within.
0: All right, so now I'm terrified, but I will definitely be watching this. I know Lee, he's a terrific journalist. I'm sure this is going to be great. It's streaming today exclusively at The Daily Wire. If you're not a member, now's the time to change that. Head to dailywire.com slash subscribe to join us today. So in a lot of ways, this podcast would not exist if it weren't for Brent Boiselle. Uh, He is the founder and president of the Media Research Center, the largest media watchdog organization in America. Almost every show features uh, videos here from Newsbusters, one of the indispensable sites. He has done incredible work exposing uh, the left-wing media, and he has now written a uh, very warm, entertaining memoir called Stops Along the Way, A Catholic Soul, A Conservative Heart, An Irish Temporary and a love of life, Brandon. It's great to see you. Thanks for coming on. Thank you,
2: Andrew. Thank you for having me.
0: Uh, you know, this is a very warm, loving, entertaining memoir. But before we get to the warm, loving stuff, uh, let's talk about let's talk about the media, so we can really get some of the bile and anger out. <laughs> get it out of the way. <laughs> exactly. Um, you know, first, tell me about uh, Newsbusters. I mean, it's it has got to be the most essential site I go to. It's the one site that I would find indispensable. Uh, how did you start that? I, I visited once a long time ago, and you have this beautiful uh, library of uh, files that uh, of media malfeasance, basically. What caused you to start this?
2: Well, technology, um, I think the, the greatest compliment we ever got, Andrew, uh, was on the very first day. Uh, uh, a statement from from Rush Limbaugh on his radio show mm. where he yelled out, Newsbusters rocks. <laughs> and that's been the promotional statement we've made ever since. Um, like it was a function of technology. Over the years, uh, the, the MRC used this thing. I don't know if you've, if you've ever heard of it. It's called paper. <laughs> and, and we had with typewriters and yeah. stuff and we, we published things and 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 then the world went of course to the internet and so we took all of our published materials and and we put it on newsbusters but the idea of newsbusters was just to have an ongoing uh analysis of what was going on in the press uh, because conservatives need to know what's in the press just be you know, you know the media are biased but you don't know exactly what they're doing if you're watching nbc i'll give you an example of this andrew Every conservative uh, is familiar with Hunter Biden and with what Hunter Biden did. Uh, It might surprise a lot of conservatives that 45.4, I believe it was, percent of Democrats who went to the polls in 2020 had never heard of Hunter Biden. Mm. Never heard of him. Why? Because NBC, ABC, CBS... CNN, MSNBC, the networks that they turn to, the New York Times, the Washington Post, the newspapers they read, they did a cover-up on Hunter Biden. So it, it, we report these things because it's important that conservatives know that the world that we live in may not be the the real world where where half this country is not being given the truth.
0: So you've been doing this now for, for a long time. When you look at it, the change to the internet... What's changed? Has it gotten worse or is it better?
2: You know, I I tell this story. A few years ago, I got a call from one of our donors who had given us um, uh, a lot of money. He he called and he he said, Brent, over the last four years, I've given you a million dollars. And I'm reading a fundraising appeal from you saying that the liberal media are worse than ever before. He said, how well is my investment working with you? And and it was a hell of a question to ask. My answer was, at the time, my answer was, it doesn't matter how liberal the media are. What matters is whether or not they're being believed. They could be be outrageously left-wing in their biases, but if you don't believe them, they're not going to have an impact. Well, that was then. Today, it's different, Andrew. Today, uh, it just shocks me that there there is no attempt to be honest, no attempt even to report the news. Give you an example. The Durham report, just this week that came out, the Durham report says that the Clinton campaign was not only spying on the Trump campaign, it was spying on the president of the United States, hacking into his servers. Do we not remember a thing called Watergate? Do we not remember three... People were going into the DNC headquarters to put plants in there and getting caught. This is the exact same thing, except they didn't then turn around and, 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 tape and, and spy on the president of the United States. This is far greater, far greater by any objective standard. It is far greater than Watergate and MSNBC, CNN, ABC, CBS, NBC, they have put a kibosh on the story. This is not a mistake. This is a deliberate decision on their part. We are not going to tell this story to the American people. I never thought I'd live to see the day that they were this outrageous. I, I wonder you're outrageous, but, but radical.
0: Do, do you ever run into reporters, uh, journalists, and and ask them about this because I, I wonder about this all the time. If I if I came on here, if I make a mistake on this podcast, I, I lose sleep. I I can't wait to come back and correct it. I I'm trying to tell the truth. You make everybody makes mistakes, but this constant deception and, and these are things I know. I know reporters know when they're deceiving people. Do you ever meet people who are feel bad about it or think something must be done or anything like that?
2: They they also know when when they made mistakes, when we did a kind of a funny video the other day, somebody on the staff did, uh, giving a, because we have the files on this, um, showing just this endless um, amount of clips of people in the media saying there was no such thing as Russian spying. I just played it. (laughs) Or or, or as the Clinton campaign spying on Donald Trump. Endless statements by reporters. Well, they're all wrong. They know they were wrong. You ask the question, good question, what's changed? This is one of the things that has changed. Once upon a time, uh, you could be feuding, not feuding, but you could be taking ABC News to task while talking to all the reporters at ABC News, Sam Donaldson at ABC News. Um, you know He, he was Mr. Left-wing uh, Beelzebub in the eyes of conservatives. He was also a friend of mine. And he would come and speak to our events. He crashed one of our galas that you've been to, crashed it, got a standing ovation. He was so funny. You could have that report. I could go down to CNN. I could meet with the president of CNN and have dinner and and just and, and talk about things. You ask me, how is our rapport with, I don't talk to reporters anymore. Hmm. You don't see conservatives going on NBC or ABC or CBS the way you used to. I don't know the last time that I was invited on. I used to be invited on CNN to critique CNN. That's what CNN used to be. And here's the last thing I want to say about this, Andrew, because you you brought this up. I don't understand the hubris in the national media that they cannot admit a mistake. There, I think there is nothing more human and nothing more noteworthy and nothing more respectful than for a journalist to go on the air and say, I made a mistake. Whatever happened to the, do you remember the uh, uh, abutsman, uh where, where somebody uh, uh, what was on the staff and he corrected things that were wrong? I don't understand why CBS News can't have that. Why they can't have somebody who says, you know, we were wrong on this thing. We were right about this thing. Um, I don't know. I don't understand why you can't do that. They believe in the public's right to know Every They believe in their right to know everything about the public, but they do not believe in the public's right to know things about them.
0: You know, I, one more question before we get to stops along the way. Uh, it's a really lovely men, memoir, A Catholic Soul, A Conservative Heart, An Irish Temper, and A Love of Life. Uh, CNN has been gutted basically by sex scandals. The only thing that anybody ever gets caught on on the left, is sex scandals, all the, the political corruption, gets swept under the rug. But finally, these guys have been chasing every every intern, every child, every you know, any, every executive around the room, and now CNN is basically gone. I mean, they've brought in uh, you know people from Fox. They brought in uh, Jonah Goldberg. Are they going to change? Are they going to go back to their original model, which was a more neutral news model back in the day? I don't think so.
2: Hmm. Uh, I wish. I hope I'm wrong on this, but I don't think so. Uh, Maybe the new corporate leadership will force this. But if they're going to force this, they're going to have to fire. About 90 percent of the people at CNN, because 90 percent of the people at CNN, Andrew, are not committed to news. They're committed to a leftist ideology. That's why they would hire a a conservative, whether it's Rick Santorum or Ken Cuccinelli, and fire them five minutes later because they couldn't stand the conservative perspective being brought on that network. These are such, um, you know, the Don Lemons of the world are such radical zealots. They are the tip of the spear. Of, of the of the furthest extremes of the Democratic Party. When was the last time you saw AOC criticized by CNN? <laughs> it won't happen. Just when was the last time you saw somebody who who brought in uh, somebody who who's t- talked about the anti-Semitic nature of so many in the Democratic Party? You won't see that. Um, so will they will they move in the right direction? A whole lot of people will have to be replaced before there's any semblance of a culture. Of journalism to return to CNN. I hope I'm wrong about that, Andrew. Mm.
0: So again, the book is the new book is called "Stops Along the Way," and it is a memoir of a growing up with ten, 10 siblings altogether, including you. As I uh, right. and I have to say, I grew up in a house with uh, three brothers, and all I remember was one long fist fight. It was like the last reel of a John Wayne movie. It was just people punching each other. Uh, but yours sounded a little less. You had a, you had a, a very. Uh, you have a very loving uh, memories of your parents and the way they handled what was clearly
2: utter chaos. It was. You know, I, why did I write this book? We, <laughs> we've written many books over the years dealing with the media or politics or whatever. Um, this is one of those things that, that you work on on airplanes when you're traveling from one place to the other or in a ho- hotel room um, where you say to yourself, I'm going to put these things in writing before I forget them. Uh, This is a a series of stories. Every single one of them is true. Andrew, I wrote them, when I published this book, I wondered, what's the public gonna think of this book? What is is somebody who reads this book gonna think? Because the stories are so different from anything you've ever heard before. The reaction I've gotten from this book is unlike anything I've ever written Mm. in my life where people not only are, 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 are enjoying it, but they can point to things in their own lives and say, yep, I did that. Yes, that's what... I've had many people saying, well, I got to write my book now and tell my stories. <laughs> I believe conservatives must become storytellers. Andrew, you were storytelling before anybody was. You were on the West Coast doing storytelling uh, before storytelling was cool. This is... Uh, uh, the, the idea was... The first half of it is is a series of stories growing up where the reader is is going to be stunned by how I do it. The second story is more on the political side, adult-wise, telling stories um, that conservatives, I think, are going to find very interesting. My favorite one being telling the story about the person 99% of conservatives have never heard of who was as instrumental as anyone in making the Reagan revolution come true, or to put it another way, Without him, there would have been no Reagan revolution. and yet ninety nine percent of conservatives don't know who he is.
0: You know one of the things that I, I thought I, I think I kind of knew this. it was in the back of my mind somewhere, but I, I had forgotten that you're you're actually conservative royalty. I mean you're you're related to Bill Buckley. i had I had forgotten that. I'm not even sure I ever knew it. Um, that how did that affect how did, how did that affect your perspective? I mean you you must have it must have fed into the, your worldview
2: yeah, it, it, it was actually deeper than that bill bill and my mother were the closest siblings in in uh in the buckley family Mm -hmm. Uh, my father and bill were uh roommates at yale and best friends growing up it was my father how how did this work uh somebody introduced somebody to somebody uh but but they they were that close-knit my father was the first washington editor of National Review, my father uh, ghost wrote *The Conscience of a Conservative*. Um, he was he was very instrumental in the earliest days of the conservative movement with Bill. Um, so did that influence us? Yes. Uh, then in 1962 or 1961, six, at six years old, we moved to Spain. Um, Spain was still in the the middle ages. It was under the Franco world. It was a completely different world. We lived there for two years. That changed my father's perspective and my mother's where they became increasingly more focused on Catholicism as opposed to conservatism. And then, so we returned and both those things became ingrained in our family. Then we moved to the country, just 70 miles from here, from DC. And I tell stories about what it was like to grow up in 1964 in, uh, in, a, in a little hamlet 70 miles from Washington, D.C. And some of the things that were going on there will simply stun the <laughs> reader. I, 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 I'm doing this like a like a, a a plug for it, but it's true. It's absolutely true.
0: Well, it, it, oh, it's a delightful book. It's called Stops Along the Way, A Catholic Soul, A Conservative Heart, An Irish Temper, and a Love of Life by Brent Fazell. Uh, you know, it, it's, in, it's really interesting to me that you came through the 60s and you were in a conservative family and a Catholic family, and your family seems to have Kept its values throughout. I mean, one of your brothers hilariously is a priest who hilariously writes a blurb, do not believe my brother, I did not do those things. Uh, <laughs> that's his blurb for your book. Um, and uh, what what is it do you think that kept the your values intact through all that?
2: Oh, I'll credit my parents. Uh, for them, um uh, their 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 faith uh, was the most important things in their in their life. But this is where where it changed. Catholicism was obviously the spiritual backbone, but it was also the cultural backbone of Mm. our family. We lived Catholicism we lived the Catholic faith, which is to say Catholics have a really good time drinking at night, and Catholics <laughs> smoke cigarettes, and Catholics do crazy things, too. We just go to confession. And, you know, we get away with it. Um, in, 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 the, in the Bozell world, living up in, out in the country, we were right by ourselves, and there were 10 of us. Um, wild, wild things happened um, to us in that world. But, you know, we also had, we, we had trials by fire. Um, how many people have had uh, a cross burn in their front yard? Mm. We did. <laughs> uh, welcome to you know, people forget the Klan doesn't like Catholics either. <laughs> we had a, a, a cross burn. Uh, we tell the story of, of um, adopting for all intents and purposes, a slave. When we moved into our our, our home, uh, there was a diminutive uh, black man working or sweeping in the in the great room. Um, and we, my dad asked him who he is. And he said, my name's Douglas and I've come with the place. Uh, he lived there with his mother. The book is dedicated to him and it's dedicated to his mother. Uh, they became, he became for all intents and purposes, a grandfather for all of us. So it, it's living in a world um, that in 1964, um, but it might have been 200 years ago, too. Wow. And
0: I'm, I'm just about out of time. Let me ask you quickly, Is what's next for the Media Research Center? What, what do you hope to accomplish uh, in the next couple of years?
2: Well, we have to understand it's now mono mono warfare with the news media. We have to understand it's no longer news. They're not in the news business anymore. They're in the propaganda business. And, and ends justify the means for them. We will never stoop to their level, obviously. But we will take the gloves off and we are going to take them out, and and they have to be understand. We have to understand they are public enemy number one for the conservative movement. They are the most powerful force. Take away the news media, Andrew, and I'll put that in quotes now. Take away the media and and ask yourselves, where would the left be today? It would be nowhere if you took away the media. Common sense would prevail. So as conservatives, we have to make that our number one priority, I believe. And And Also, be in the storytelling mode. We now have ways, like the Andrew Clevin podcast, to tell the conservative story. I salute you. Again, I'll repeat it. You were one of of the very first people to understand the importance of this.
0: Well, thank you, Brent. And Brent, like I said, this show would not be possible without you guys at Newsbusters. It's a great site. The book is Stops Along the Way by Brent Bozell, V-O-Z-E-L-L. Brent, it's great to see you, and I hope you'll come back and talk again.
2: Thank you, Andrew. Anytime.
0: Thanks a lot. All right, that time has come. You waited for it, you prayed for it, you begged for it, you wept trying to make it come into being, and here it is. Gather your problems around you, kiss them goodbye. It is time for the mailbag.
2: Russia, Russia, Russia. It was all bullshit.
0: Yeah! (laughs) When a man is right, he is right. All right, from Patrick. Uh, My wife and I are married six years and have two young boys. The responsibility of fatherhood has brought me closer to God. And I've increasingly immersed myself in our family and the Christian faith. My wife grew up Christian and humors me. She's grateful for the Christian virtues, but is a lukewarm participant. My unease around her lack of active faith comes and goes, but she recently uttered a heresy against Christ that shocked me. Uh, We've been reading the Bible at my request, and while discussing the identity of Mary Magdalene, my wife said that historians thought Mary might be Jesus' lover. I responded that Mary couldn't be Jesus' lover because they weren't married, that would be adultery, which obviates the identity of Jesus. Yet my wife persisted and said that perhaps Jesus, the historical figure, had a lover. I responded that Jesus, the historical figure, is the Son of God incarnate. She shrugged and walked away, and I'm left shaken. I'm married to someone who doesn't share my faith. Well, my, pardon me. Um, My response to that is basically, uh, so what? Uh, You know, it, it is not, you know, she's being a good wife. She is taking the kids to church and supporting you in your faith, uh, and I think she owes you that. I think you are the leader and the head of the household, uh, but she doesn't owe you her mind and her heart. I mean, you—she has the right to think. She's a free person, uh, even as as your wife. She is a free person. Who has the right to believe what she does, and I don't think that uh, embracing Christ is supposed to make you a censorious pious guy who controls other people's spiritual life. I don't think that's the point. If you think about it just practically for a moment, what is going to bring her closer to Christ? You being a kind of a pious scold, uh, telling her that she's not allowed to think about things that some historians do say about uh, Jesus and Mary Magdalene, even though they have no information to back it up, but still, you know, is that going to be something that makes her think boy this christian thing is a really good idea or is it the joy and love that uh christ should be radiating through you as as you come to terms with the holy spirit within you she is a free person uh she is your wife and has responsibilities to you as you have responsibilities to her as her husband but she doesn't have the responsibility to believe what you believe uh and uh if if you want that to be a thing that happens the the biggest chance you have of that happening is uh, living out the love and joy of Christ and not living out some kind of pious bullying, because it, it would be pious bullying to insist uh, that she not commit what you consider uh, sacrilege. It's not That's not the way it works. I mean, you have been on a journey. God has called you on that journey, and I think that's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Uh, you know, I, I think you trust God with your wife to f- speak to her uh, where she is and, and not necessarily you, um, you know, yelling at her that she's a heretic. <laughs> you know? I don't think that's going to work too well. So that's my reaction. Uh, from Caleb, how do you feel about Walsh's sweet baby gang and his self-proclaimed status of cult leader? Isn't he just trying to copy the Clavenon movement and encroach on your own pseudo-deific uh, status of master and ruler of the multiverse? I, I think, obviously, uh, Walsh is a, only a, a pseudo-pseudo. Uh, you know, deity, whereas I am uh, the, when pseudo-deity, it's kind of like idolatry, you know, if you want, if you want, you want to pray to God, not to some symbol of God, in the same way, you want to be dealing with a complete lunatic, not a guy who's just, you know, a a pseudo-lunatic, but really has flashes of sanity from time to time, like Walsh, which I think just, you know, ruins his whole routine. Um. (laughs) I don't even know what I'm saying. From Gabriel, what are your thoughts on the idea that men and women can't be friends? This gained traction a while back after Steve Harvey and Matt Walsh talked about it. And I was curious to hear your thoughts. I personally believe it's BS because I'm a man and my best friend is a woman. Well, look, obviously uh, there are no statements about people that are universally true except that they die and pay taxes, but like it is possible. Uh, for men and women to be friends. It is just fraught. Uh, usually the best way it happens is in the uh, context of a couple. So if, you know, and this happens a lot when you have kids, you become friends with your uh, kids, friends, parents, and uh, and then you become friends with the wife of that group, and it's a little less fraught because you're in this kind of foursome uh, where everybody knows exactly where they are. But look, there's always a sexual angle to every relationship between straight man, a straight man and a straight woman. They're just it's always there, and so that's a fraught situation, especially if you're married to somebody else. Um, but, you know, if you feel you're doing it, that's great. The, be- the best description I ever read of this was in um, uh, that Tom Wolfe book, I Am—what S- was it called? I Am Susan? I can't remember the name of it. It was the one about the girl in college. Uh, but at one point she comes—she's uh, in trouble and she comes to a male friend and he. she comes to him to nurture her and nurse her back to health and all he thinks about the entire time is sleeping with her. Uh, I just think that that is always there. Um, from Mika, I have a serious— Question, was is, I'm something Simmons, I think it was. Uh, anyway, for Mika, I have a serious question about my career and future and would love your input. I'm a public school teacher. I'd like to think I'm one of the good ones. I try to teach my uh, students how to think and never what to think. I'm a follower of Clavanon, after all. However, as is somewhat obvious, the public education system is collapsing on itself in decades of incompetent leadership and misguided policy. Uh She says, well, I think there are some good things potentially on the horizon. I suspect the system is too far gone to actually save. My high school students are reading on the elementary level, sometimes worse. Their behavior has gone downhill. While I know this isn't my fault, Uh, because this is the level these students were at long before they came to my class. It's taken a serious toll on my mental and emotional health to see the current state of affairs. My question is simple. Should I continue trying to do the best job I can and educate my students in an honest and fair manner, or should I abandon the public school system and move on to a different line of work? This is a question that kind of answers itself as so many questions do. Usually when, by the time people write to me, they know the answer to the question. Uh, This is, you're saying it's taken a serious toll on your mental health and emotional health, Um, you know, there is absolutely no call for that. Uh, if you can move on and do something else that will make you happier, uh, then uh, move on and do something else that will make you happier. You already know this answer. Uh, you should not. Um, you should not destroy yourself in a system that you don't feel can work anymore. Uh, and uh, my producer Lisa just told me it's "I Am Charlotte Simmons." That's what it was. Um, and uh, that's the the Tom Wolfe book. And um, it's it's really a, I think it's a great book. Um, Alicia says, dear omnipotent master of the multiverse, I'm interested to know your thoughts on being married to a man whose personality has changed drastically after becoming addicted to hard drugs. Uh, we've been together for 16 years. have a nine-year-old daughter. He's been using drugs regularly since she was about two. Our happy marriage has been a living hell ever since. He's either zoned out on video games, uh, you know, basically absent, but he's happy and we're not arguing. Um, I listen to you and other Daily Wire hosts on the topic of marriage and family and the importance of children being raised in a home with both parents, and I wholeheartedly agree with those sentiments. However, I struggle with reconciling those beliefs and the unhealthy environment. My husband and I fight constantly. I cry almost daily. And when he's off the drugs, he's irritable and apathetic. Um, uh, uh, She believes in sticking to her vows through sickness and in health to death to his part. Um, but no, you know, this This is one of the things, uh, addiction is one of the things that destroys a marriage, and I, I deeply believe in keeping marriages together, especially when you have children, but no, uh, you are not, you know, I, I think abuse and adultery and addiction, the three A's are the three things that can end a marriage because it's no longer a marriage. The guy is now married to the drugs. If you can get him off them, if you can insist, you know, if you can say to him, look, I'm gonna leave, I'm gonna take the kid unless you go into rehab, that has sometimes worked. Sometimes interventions like that work. I know of people who have done that, but no, you can't live like this. You cannot live. He's married to the drugs. He is the drugs. Drugs take your soul away. Drugs, you know, replace your soul. They are a tool of our enemy, and they are used for the enemy's purposes. And you know, you have the right to say to him, Look, I can't raise my daughter in this uh, in this place. I can't raise our child in this place. You know. <laughs> Mar- marriage is sacred, marriage is forever, marriage is for life, but there are things that end a marriage. Adultery is one of them. As I say, abuse is one of them. You're not made, made to be a punching bag, and addiction is just, it's its hard to explain to people uh, what addiction does to you. Uh, they keep saying it's a disease. It's not a disease, right, because you can't quit a disease. So it's, it's a disease of the will, and when your will is diseased, what happens is you invent systems uh, to make it impossible to help you. When somebody wants help, and they come to you for help, they're alive, they're creative, they're awake, they're re- ready to change, they're ready to engage with solutions. Uh, but when somebody invents a system, they're just sucking you into that system. That doesn't sound like he has any motivation. If his child is not a motivation to get off this crap, then uh, probably nothing is. But I think, you know, at some point, you're gonna have to go to him and say, look, this is it, you know, you have a ch- you have a choice. Uh, you have a choice, you can keep this family together, uh, or you can stay together with your drugs. It's me or the drugs. And I, 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 I'm sorry, but I do think you have a right Uh, to do that. Uh, And I got to stop there. And that means for you, uh, the good news is you're about to be plunged into almost eternal darkness. Uh, The Clavenless week is upon you. There'll be broken glass. There'll be fire. There'll be stuff flying out of the sky. Bats. I don't even like to think about it. Uh, But if you survive and the chances are virtually nil, we will be back here next Friday, and I will still be Andrew Claven, and I will be glad to see you on The Andrew Claven Show. Hey, if you enjoyed this episode and want to spread the word, give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe, too. We're available on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, basically wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, remember to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Matt Walsh Show, and The Michael Knoll Show. Thank you for listening. The Andrew Clavin Show is produced by Lisa Bacon, executive producer Jeremy Boring, our supervising producer is Mathis Glover, our technical director is Austin Stevens. Production manager, Pavel Wadoski. Editor and associate producer, Danny D'Amico. Our audio is mixed by Mike Cormina. Animations are by Cynthia Angulo. Hair and makeup is done by Cherokee Hart. Our production coordinator is McKenna Waters. And our production assistant is Jacob Falash. The Andrew Claven Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2022.
1: Today on The Ben Shapiro Show, an anti-Semitic BLM-associated alleged shooter gets written off as mentally ill, the Trudeau administration announces further financial crackdowns on political opponents, and Democrats keep
5: flailing on COVID. That's today on The Ben Shapiro Show. Give it a listen.